Welcome to TTP community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the ravishing Robert Demena. Dude, thank you so much. That is very kind of you. You're I really very appreciate welcome. it. You're very welcome. So before we get into uh, today's episode, I just want to reach out and ask everybody to take into consideration their travel resolution for the new year. And once you take that into consideration and you write it down, maybe send it to us because we're curious to hear your new travel resolutions. We will probably pick a few to talk about on the podcast. And if you want to send it in an audio form, if you were to record it on your phone and send it via email, we can actually include it and infuse it into our podcast, into the intro of a podcast. We're curious, where do you plan on going? Which countries do you plan on seeing? Um, Do you plan on using reward points? Whatever it may be, um, we want to hear it. And, and we're, we're generally, general, generally, genuinely, curious. Ge- and genuinely curious. Yeah. And we will be following you. If you tell us that you have a goal, we will help you try to reach that goal and we will hold you accountable to attain that goal. Yes, definitely. All right, uh, Bob, everyone wants to know what was the answer to last week's trivia question? So I'll, I'll say the question. So the last week's question was what U S industry nearly collapsed due to overfishing and the killing of sharks. And that industry is the scallop industry along the Eastern United States. So if you got that right, we will be reaching out to uh, a select few of you and sending you uh, our Traveler, Traveler's Blueprint stickers. So we'll be looking, looking for that in your email inbox. What do, so what do we have going on as far as our guest is concerned today, Elliot? So our guest today is sometimes known as the house sit diva. She's been house sitting for over a decade and she absolutely love it, loves it. And you can tell based on our conversation today how much she loves it. And she's very passionate about the whole subject. So we discussed with her how to house sit, who it's good for, the benefits of house sitting, available resources for people looking to house sit or already house sitting. And we end with a heartfelt conversation on what travel means to each of us individually. So without further introduction, please welcome Kelly Hayes Rate. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Kelly, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Thank you, Elliot. I'm really pleased to be here. Bob and I are extremely looking forward to our conversation with you today, which is going to be focusing on house sitting. So you recently reached out to us through email and asked us to kind of go over some of your stuff and how you got into house sitting and what you've been doing for the last 30 years. Yes, I'm 58. So and last how, 40 years. Last 40 years and how others can do the same thing, or at least maybe not on the same scale as you because you've been quite busy and, you know, just make house sitting part of their travel. So how did you get into house sitting? Well, for 30 years, I was a political activist in California, uh, working on environmental and social justice issues. And then I ran for office myself in 2006, and I got my butt kicked and decided I needed to take a break from politics. Uh, The only way that I could make the finances work was if I rented my home out to vacationers, and then I lived somewhere else for free. And initially, I was, li- I was living in writer's colonies where I'd been awarded writing fellowships because I was working on a book about my experiences in the Middle East with refugees. Um, but that was kind of limiting. And I discovered house sitting accidentally by taking care of pets of, of friends and family throughout the United States. 
And so in 2009, I ended up really traveling around the U.S. I crisscrossed America four and a half times, staying in people's homes and caring for their pets. And, uh, and then I discovered international house sitting, which really opened up the possibilities for me. And that started with a two-month house sit in London during the Olympics. And it was just amazing. The city was on fire. I'd, never, I'd been to London, but I'd never really spent time there. And to spend two months during one of its times when it was just shining was an incredible experience. And to be able to be there and take care of this cute kitty Merlin and have my own little flat that I could go back to was perfect. And that really got me hooked. And so I've been traveling full time since 2009 and, uh, and doing international house sitting since then. And so this is before the establishment of uh, a lot of these social media apps that have helped people do this um, a lot easier, connecting people, you know, who are interested in it. How did you begin to build all of these relationships? I, that's a great question, Bob. Um, well, as, I, as I mentioned, I started with friends and family. And so it was word of mouth and it kind of spread from there. And then I joined trustedhousesitters.com, which was one of the first uh, websites that was really promoting international house sitting. And that was how I got that London house sit. And that's how I've gotten another house sit since then. And it's just been great. And the way I, I, I mean, at first, it's kind of difficult to start, start a relationship because you're doing it with somebody online. It's kind of like online dating, right? Where you're, you know, you send a message and you hope you get something back from them. And then you set up a Skype call and you hope you hit it off with that. But what I found is that through house sitting, I have made some fantastic lifelong friends and I have many repeat house sits that I do throughout the world. And it's, it's, it's lovely. I mean, people move from one community to another community and they still ask me to come house sit. So I get to see another destination. So it's really quite a a relationship oriented business. And that's, I think that's important. That's what Bob and I have found with this travel podcast is that every single person that we have on is someone that we now have an established relationship with. It's not just a, we're these two guys that like to talk and <laughs> they don't know us, but now we actually do know them. And it's, it's very interesting and it changes the dynamic of how you interact with people. Oh, that's so cool. So you are the founder of House at Diva, right? Yes, yes. And I love that name too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and with House at Diva, um, it will, let me backtrack a little bit because you're in Mexico right now, house sitting for someone, and you're watching after their dog as well. Is it? It's a dog, right? Not a cat. Yes, it's a dog. You might have just heard her. Yes. <laughs> and what's what's her name? Her name is Cha Cha. She gets very jealous Cha-Cha. when I'm not paying attention to her. <laughs> okay. Oh, so she's probably very jealous right now. She is. <laughs> and then in London, it sounded like you were taking care of Merlin, which was a cat or a dog. A cat. Okay. Is that typical when you house sit? Are, are most of these people that are putting their homes up on trusted house sitting looking to house sit and animal sit, or is it one or the other? Most of them are pet sits. Okay. And, and it's because, you know, people don't want to board their, their animals. It's, it's safer and less expensive and less traumatizing for the animals than the pets if they can stay home while they're, while they're human owners are are off somewhere else. So it's really nice to have somebody in the house uh, maintaining the the pet's routines. But it's also a great way for homeowners to make sure that their homes are being cared for. They look lived in. There's, you know, somebody there who's maintaining security. If there's a 
a, a major storm or something that happens, you know, there's somebody there to take care of anything that may happen in the, in the garden or in the yard or with, a, with the uh, pool or so forth. So it's a great way to keep a, a home secure as well as keeping the pets secure. Um, all of my house sits have been for pets and I've house sat for dogs, cats, and rabbits. I draw the line at snakes, although I know I have friends who love that. I think I would uh, like that. Uh, yeah. be, I feel like that'd be easy. Yeah, I think it would be very easy. <laughs> You're not going to take a snake for a walk. Just drop a mouse in the tank every once in a while, right? <laughs> well, see, Bob, there you hit it. That's what I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity as a, as a traveler. It's, it's, for me, it's slow, authentic travel. And it's not like staying in a youth hostel in the, in the crazy touristy parts of town. I get to stay in a home, in a neighborhood. I can cook for myself. I save money on not just the accommodations, but all the other kinds of things that, that, that hotels will charge for, like parking and laundry and better Wi-Fi, things like that. Um, so I can live in someone's home, be real comfortable, and have private secure Wi-Fi, which is very important mm. to me as a full-time traveler. I mean, I wouldn't access my credit card account at a hotel, but I feel perfectly comfortable doing that at a home where I'm house sitting and I know it's secure Wi-Fi. Um, and it's just an opportunity to feel like I'm more of a part of the community. And I, that's one of the, for me, that's one of the big benefits of house sitting that I really love. Yeah. And I see that as an allure for Airbnb as well, but Airbnb is strictly like people wanting to make money off of it. But with house sitting, it's a mutual, it's mutually beneficial to both parties. And one thing I want to ask is, are most house sits, do you have to be vetted in order to house sit, I assume. And are you doing it solo or is there potential to do it with family? Yes. To answer to both questions. Uh, I happen to do it solo because I'm a single woman. I have uh, friends visiting me every once in a while. Right now at this house sit in Mexico, my mother and her husband are visiting me for a week. And uh, so, and that's, the homeowner knows that and she uh, is fine with that. It just depends on what the homeowner will do. Uh, but there are families that house sit and they house sit for other families, which is really pretty cool because then there's the infrastructure for children already in place in the home, which is nice. Okay. Toys and bunk beds and so forth. Um, and couples house sit. Uh, it's, it's really there. It has grown to be such a huge opportunity for both travelers and homeowners that really anybody can house sit as long as they have what I think are the main traits that house sitters need, which are flexibility and a sense of humor and a really strong sense <laughs> of responsibility. Yes. That's, it's hard to find all three together though. <laughs> now, is there, I've got them. <laughs> <laughs> is there any, is this a, an exchange of services, right? There's, do they charge you at all? No, there's uh, generally speaking, there's no money that changes hands. Okay. So I don't get paid for house sitting and I pay my own way to somebody's home. And then I pay for my own personal expenses while I'm there, my own food, any gas that I might use, um, you know, anything that I use from the cupboards I replace. They pay for all the pets needs, the pets food, uh, all of the household expenses. Every once in a while, a homeowner might ask a house sitter to pay for the electricity bill, like you know, if they're in a really hot, humid place, they don't want the, the AC running constantly. They might ask for money for that. But it, for the most part, it's a quid pro quo. Okay. And I'm, I'm really curious, being in all these people's homes throughout the world, what's some oh, of the weirdest yeah. things that you've encountered uh, in, in people's homes throughout the, the planet? 
Well, it's uh, it's a very intimate kind of relationship. I mean, I'll say that to have somebody living in your home is, right, is yeah. really, you know, you have to have a lot of trust and, um, and I need a lot of flexibility in order to do that as I'm living on top of people's stuff. Um, I'd have to say the weirdest thing though has been the little gifts that the, the animals bring me. <laughs> um, I just was house sitting this past summer in a wonderful French island in the Indian Ocean called Réunion. And please forgive my French, but it's Réunion. And um, there are four rescue kitties and two rescue dogs. And it happened to just be the day of my birthday. And one of the cats brought in this most disgusting rat that it, eviscerated uh. all over the bathroom floor and so i was i was gifted a, a uh, rat guts that day uh, wow that, so that you, was... you should feel honored mm. that that cat already felt that comfortable with you to bring you its kill on my birthday no on less your birthday yeah yes it was quite yeah. a bonding experience um I, I prefer other kinds of bonding experiences but you know it, it anything, else? <laughs> Literally anything else <laughs> Um, but most people, you know, most people are people and, and I haven't really found anything necessarily weird in their homes. It's just people are people. And, yeah, you know, you kind of, there was one woman I house sat for that I could tell was kind of losing it a little bit mentally. There would be a lot of half opened cans of, of uh, cat food in the fridge that, you know, you know, you open a can of cat food, you feed the cat in the morning and then you feed it the rest at night and, and she just kept opening up cat food cans and, you know, and that, that was a little sad. So that's mm -hmm. sort of part of the intimacy that you see when you're with people is how they live and what's going on in their lives sometimes. Yeah. Um, but um, it was a nice on, house sit though. She was lovely. On the flip side of it, have you, you, you started with house sitting by offering your house, um, not necessarily as a way to just give it up, but you needed the money and you were living elsewhere. But do you, do you now let other people house it for you? Yes. And, you know, that's a really smart question, Elliot. I've never been asked that before. One of the things that I think made it so comfortable for me to house sit in other people's homes was the fact that I had opened my home up to vacationers. So I, I had a cat at the time, and I was charging people to stay in my home. Luckily enough, my house was eight blocks to the beach in Santa Monica, California. So I had the, the luxury and opportunity to be able to charge for it, which made all the difference for me economically. Um, but, you know, having people live in my home all the time, strangers coming and going all the time, desensitized me to that sense of this is my stuff or there's stuff here that I can't look at or do anything with. And it's, it just made me a lot less sensitive to things, the things in our lives. Okay. And that, I think that's helped me with house sitting. I've never thought of that. That was a really good question. Yeah. And do you, when you started doing house sitting, are there like a certain set of rules and expectations that people actually follow? Or is it all just like a, like a house sitter's code or credo? <laughs> well, there, you know, the rules change and they change person to person, homeowner to homeowner, because some homeowners want one thing one way and others want it a different way. It can change culturally you know, where I am around the world. It can change based on the type of animal and the health of the animal that I'm taking care of. So there's, there's sort of different, there's not, I would say that there's not one set in stone set of protocols, but generally speaking, the protocols are the, ho the house sitter will arrive at the location, perhaps the day before the homeowners leave and the homeowners will um, hopefully have room enough to put them up for the night so that the homeowners can show the house sitters kind of the ropes 
and not just around the house with the quirks that, you know, every house has its quirks, right? Uh, but also the pets' routines and what needs to happen. And also to show around the neighborhood, too, where the grocery stores are and where the the special places are where the dog likes to go to walk. So it's kind of helpful if the house sitter can arrive the day before. Um, and then usually the, the homeowner will treat the house sitter to dinner that night. And it's an opportunity for the two of them to get to know each other a little bit better. How long are you typically in one location? You know, that really changes from time to time. This house that I have in Mexico, I've been here as long as five months at a time. And it just wow. depends on what's happening with the family's life. This is their vacation home and they live in the United States. And so, you know, if they have other things going on in the States, I'll stay here longer. And I've stayed in people's homes for as little as two nights. Okay. When I've had, you know, when I've been, been in between house sits and, and was able to pick up a two, two-nighter. So it really, cha- it really varies. There's... There is just no cookie cutter house sit, no cookie cutter house sitter around. It's, it's, uh, it's really open to anyone. Now I do it full time, but most house sitters only house sit for perhaps a couple of weeks during the Christmas holidays, or maybe they house sit for a few weeks over the summer break. Um, and that's the way a lot of, uh, particularly families, that's the way they house sit. So there's a lot of variety and a lot of opportunity. And I also want to mention that Trusted House Sitters isn't the only platform out there. It happens to be the largest and the most expensive, but there are 50 platforms where homeowners list their needs and house sitters can join and put up a profile and respond to those homeowners' needs. And those are, some of them are international. One of them is bilingual. Nomador.com is based out of France and they're bilingual English and French. Uh, Several are very country specific. Like I also happen to belong to housesitmexico.com, which only lists house sits in Mexico. And those house, uh, those platforms tend to be less expensive and less crowded. So it's a good way for people to start house sitting is to use one of those smaller sites because there's a lot less competition. And what are the now, typical costs for one of those sites? Usually, well, it you know, they, they go on sale. I just, um, renewed my membership at House Sit Mexico for $50 a year. It's usually $70 a year. Uh, Trusted House Sitters is, I think, at $130 or $140 a year right now, but it's possible to get 20% off coupons. I have a 20% off discount on my website, housesitdiva.com. So they're, they're always running sales and specials. Okay. I, I mean, it, it seems like a lot given that it's, you know, there are resources, but then when you put into perspective that you're literally sitting in someone's house for free for two nights to four weeks. It, it just saves you that much money. Right. Yeah, you I mean, wouldn't be paying for a hotel. Even $130 a year. I mean, that's, that's, that's one, one night in yeah, a lot of locations. Yeah, Ex- exactly. It's yeah. a huge cost savings. I, I do want to mention though, that it's not a free ride. I mean, I take on a tremendous amount of responsibility when I stay in somebody's home um, so that they can go travel worry-free, taking on you know anything that might happen with their pets or their home. And I've had I've had just about everything that could possibly happen, happen. Uh, this summer, one of the dogs got into poison and it was at night and I had to find the vet and try to speak French, which I don't speak and, and uh, you know, go to the emergency vet and have the vet come in and take care of the dog. And the dog was fine, thank goodness. But I had to move quickly and I had to you know, be available and be um, observant of the dog and be around and take care of that. Um, this house in Mexico that I've house set for was robbed and my laptop was stolen. Um, I've had, you know, I've had other pets get sick. I've had um, 
one pet was, I was basically keeping alive until the homeowner could come home. It was a very ill cat and she knew it. And, and so the vet and I were working very closely together to keep that cat alive. So it's a, it's a, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge commitment. It's an emotional commitment as well. It's not one that I regret. It's one that I'm willing to take on and happily take on. But I think it's important for house sitters to realize that this isn't just like, oh, let's go, you know, it's a free party somewhere in Paris. Yeah. Right. This isn't for these, the, the person who wants to travel the world and vacation and lay on the beach. What you're doing is you're taking the opportunity to see these locations and sort of like temporary, temporarily like assimilate into the culture and you become an employee essentially to that to the people that own the house, right? It's not for someone who wants to go and relax on the beach or spend the day exploring um, worry free. Yeah, I I think I would love it. I truly think I would love it. Cause I like, I like taking it slow when I travel. It's just, you know, obviously finding the time. And I like the idea of getting to know the individuals that you're house sitting for prior to you actually house sitting, like going and meeting those individuals as opposed to, an Airbnb where you are just told the code to enter the house and told the rules of the house. You're getting to know the people, you're meeting the family or the individual, you're having a conversation with them over dinner and you're getting to know the pet. And then you're basically living your life at their house. Exactly. And what's, what's really fun, I'm going to take that one step further, Elliot. One of the things that's happened to me in, in some of the house sits where I've gone is the homeowners have um, either introduced me to their friends who have then taken it upon themselves to show me around in this new community. And I've made some lifelong friends that way. And that's wonderful. Or in a couple of instances, the homeowners researched or learned ahead of time about some things that they thought I might like to do. Like, for example, I've done a lot of work with refugees and I happen to be house sitting in Berlin at the height of the Syrian refugee crisis when Germany Mm. was being so open and accepting and welcoming of refugees. And at the time, my partner, my boyfriend was house sitting with me and he and I went down to to the refugee uh, registration center in Berlin and volunteered for a day, handing out sandwiches and water and talking to people. And um, I'm a journalist, so I interviewed some people and wrote that up for a column that I was writing for a paper in, in Los Angeles. And it was I just was so moved that my homeowner in Berlin was kind enough to let me know where to go. She did the research to find out for me about where I would go because I, I wouldn't necessarily have been able to figure it out in German. And, uh, and so she did and left directions and left what the rules were and how we could do that. Another time when I was there, she found out about a really fantastic Refugee Voices street tour that a couple of Syrian refugees were doing to take tourists around in English and show them places where Germans had, uh, there'd been uprisings in Germany and Berlin in, you know, East Berlin over time. And then he compared them to what had happened in Syria more recently. And it was a fascinating tour. And that's one I never would have found if Elke hadn't been kind enough to leave that information for me. So there's that relationship with the homeowners is so important and it can be so enriching. I mean, if I'd been staying at a youth hostel in, in, in Berlin or at a hotel, I never would have found out about those opportunities. It seems like it's a mixture of Airbnb and couch surfing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With pets. With pets. With, right, yes. Right. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I think we have a good idea of how you can do this um, by going to one location for whatever amount of time you're there and then coming back home. But is there a way to organize it in um, 
and, and form in sequence. <laughs> yes, yes, and travel the world. So you know, you you going to London for two weeks, and then you go to Germany for a month, and you sort of hop around the the world, essentially making your way through different countries for years. Could you could you virtually do this indefinitely? That's what I've been doing for the last ten years. You have so you. Mm -hmm. You, you have not been to the United States in 10 years? Oh, no, I had, I just sold my house. So I would come back to Los Angeles. I, what made it work for me, and this is very unique. There are other people who do house sit full time all around the world and they have sort of different ways that they organize it. For me, the way it got organized is 10 years ago, I fell into this house sit in Mexico and fell in love with this dog and I have a great relationship with the family. And so I've been here for roughly two months every spring and four or five months every fall. So this has given me kind of a base because I know that I'm always coming back here. In between, I fly to Los Angeles and, and take care of, you know, my mail and business and that kind of thing, health checkups, because that's where I was based. And then I would fly from Los Angeles to wherever my next house it was going to be, London or Hanoi or whatever. LA is a great base to fly from, right? So I would, I would either stay in my home for a couple of days or a week, or I would stay with friends for a few days if my house was rented and just go by and pick up mail and, and all of that. I recently sold my house, and so now I really am rootless. I have one storage area in Los Angeles, a storage bin that's five by five, and that's got oh, everything wow, that's I tiny. own. Yep, that's got everything I own. And so now I'm uh, looking at Europe as the place where I'd like to base myself next. So this coming spring, I won't be in Mexico. I'm going to be traveling around Europe, hopefully through a combination of house sitting and staying in hotels and looking for my next place. I'm going to be kind of interviewing cities, <laughs> see wow. where I land next. Yeah. And, and in theory, though, you could line up house sit after house sit. You know, if you want to explore Europe, you can start, you know, in essentially uh, uh, Portugal and make your way east right and just absolutely you could absolutely. do that right okay mm -hmm. absolutely and it's important and to have. note and it's important i think to note that your journalism allows you to work on the road and in these homes and if you want to do what bob is suggesting and house it sequentially as you're traveling through europe or southeast asia that you still have to make money in order to travel pay for your food, pay for your other living expenses besides right. the actual roof over your head. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And the way I did that initially, Elliot, was through renting out my home. Mm. Now that my home is sold, um, I have that money invested so I can live off the investments a little bit. Um, in addition to my journalism, which I love doing, but you know, doesn't pay, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm starting a new business where I'm coaching writers and I'm really loving this where I'm helping authors with their books. I'm doing editing and coaching and hosting, uh, writers retreats in places where I've house sat and really fell in love with. And so it's an opportunity for writers to come and spend 10 days with me. And we do some skills building workshops, some cultural stuff and lots of writing and personal one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so I'm really excited about that. And, and so I'm earning a little bit of money that way as well. Okay, cool. that is yeah. exciting. Yeah. Now, now that we've kind of gotten an overview of house sitting, how you've done it, what would you say the majority of users that house sit, what is their demographic? What are they using it for? Are they using it like you? Or do you think most users are looking for a one to two week house sit in uh, another state, another city, or another country? Uh, the latter. Um, most of the house sitters that I know have a base somewhere. They have a home and they 
incorporate house sitting into their travel plans. They might not always, they might go to another destination and spend a few days at a hotel near Disney World, for example, and then go house sit in Paris. You know, there's, there's different ways to kind of organize it. And most of the people that I know who house sit do it just part time as, as a supplement to their traveling. I, I have many friends, though, who do do it full time or almost full time as I do. And okay. it's, it's just the, it's the new digital nomad lifestyle that's, that's being developed. It's fun and it's exciting. It's got some ups and yeah. downs, but it's, it's, uh, it's really unique. As is life. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Would you recommend it to the common, you know, uh, U.S. traveler who's going away for two weeks and instead of visiting Rome and paying for the hotel, uh, just essentially house sitting and watching after someone's pet and being able to explore on their own. Would, would they still be able to take in the touristy experiences that way? I do. And, and I, this is, Bob, this, this is one of the most important things that I say to people who are thinking about house sitting. I mean, it, besides really assessing your own personality to decide if you would be a good house sitter, because not everybody's meant to be a house sitter. And I can get back to that in a minute. But uh, if you if you decide it's something you want to try, I always encourage people to really sit down and think about the kind of experience you want to have during this travel experience. Are you looking for a place where you're going to be in a big city where you have the freedom to go uh, explore and go to museums? Or are you looking for a quiet off the grid experience to write your bestseller, right? And those are, those are kind of two extremes. But I tend to be a city girl and I love museums and I love going to plays and I love going to dance recitals. So I tend to house it in cities for um, pets that don't need a lot of requirements during the day so that I can be gone and, and go do something and then come back at night. Almost all house sits require that you be there every night, overnight. I've, there have been some exceptions to that, but almost all of them do. Okay. So, you know, so for example, if I were going to Rome for the first time and I've never been there, I probably would not take a house sit with a puppy that needs to be walked every three or four hours, right? right. For example. Now, I have taken those kinds of house sits and I've taken them when I wanted more of a rural quiet experience where I was working on a writing project. And frankly, it was great to get, you know, have a requirement to get up out of the seat and away from my computer every few hours to go take a short walk. You know, that was actually a nice, a nice break. So it depends on the kind of experience that you want to have. I, I want to get back to the idea that um, it really, that house sitting is something that people should do some self-assessment around. I've written a book about house sitting called How to Become a House Sitter, Insider Tips from the House Sit Diva. And it's available on um, in softcover or Kindle on Amazon, and it's also available as an ebook on my website, www.housesitdiva.com. And in that book, one of the first chapters I have is a quiz: "Is house sitting right for me?" And it's not meant to discourage people from house sitting, but just meant to kind of look at the things that you're totally comfortable with and things that maybe you're not so comfortable with. So you want to find house sits that will that will not incorporate those things that you're not as comfortable with. Um, this is probably not a good thing to say about my book, but <laughs> I once, uh, a, a 
an acquaintance bought it one time and, and we went out to dinner afterwards and she said, Kelly, I have to tell you, this was the best $13 I ever spent because I took your quiz and I realized I would be a terrible house sitter and you've saved me <laughs> thousands of dollars. <laughs> and it's really not what the oh, book funny. is meant to do, but you know, she was right. And, and she felt like she just wouldn't have the patience and the flexibility to house sit. And, and it was important for her to learn that before she put herself in a situation where she was thousands of miles from home and it spent hundreds of dollars to get there and people were, you know, re requiring her to stay there, you know, so it was a good, it was a good lesson for her. Can you, you don't have to go through all the questions, but can you give a few of them to see maybe why someone listening wouldn't be or would be a good house sitter? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask too. Like if you could just <laughs> name some of the characteristics that uh, are not, don't mesh well for being a house sitter. Well, clearly not. You have to you have to really put somebody else's needs above yours. If if the dog is sick and needs to go to the vet, and you've got theater tickets, you go to the vet. You know? And that's that. Yeah, it's just that's the way it that's the way it works. And not everybody wants to do that when they. And understandably, not everybody wants to do that when they go to a foreign country that they're going to explore. So uh, I would say that one's pretty much a deal breaker that you have to be willing to put your own plans aside for the for the benefit of the pets. Another thing is, is just having the flexibility to live in somebody else's home on top of their stuff. Now, you know, as I said earlier, I'm not really into stuff. That's not a big thing for me. I don't cook a lot. I don't need a particular way for my kitchen to be set up or anything like that. But I know people who, who do, you know, and they like that kind of consistency and they probably would not be a good house sitter mm, okay. for that reason. Um, on the other hand, knowing that, you know, it's living on top of other people's stuff is something that might make you a little uncomfortable, maybe not very uncomfortable, but maybe a little uncomfortable. You might ask the house, the homeowner to please set aside some, some room for you to put your stuff out. So I'm running scenarios in my own head on how I could do this. And, you know, I have a wife and I have a, I have a, uh, a baby, a one-year-old, and it seems like I could essentially pick a city in the United in in Europe, let's say, and go there for two weeks. And if I find a house with a cat, they're super easy, right? You don't have to do a lot for cats. Um, it depends on the cat. It does. Does it? Does yeah. it? I, oh, yeah. Your cats are easy, Bob. I have two cats, and yeah, they require like nothing. I mean, you just feed them and give them water, and they're happy as can be. Um, yeah, well, there. I mean, there's some cats that need medication. I mean, the right. cat that I took care of in Malawi who was dying, I mean, it was that was a real heartbreaker. I mean, this cat was curled up with me at night against my body under the covers to keep him warm. And, and oh, wow. you know, he would vomit and pee in the middle of the night because he was dying. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, that cat took a, took, took a lot, took a lot from me emotionally, actually. It was really tough. But um, generally speaking, yeah, you know, cats can be easier. And um, some cats are raised with infants and others aren't. So that's a thing to consider too. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. One question I have, we had a recent conversation with someone who is a very experienced traveler and she talks about how, you know, Italy is not that exciting for her anymore and she'd rather go other places because she is experienced. But for a novice traveler, Italy is exhilarating and can be very exciting. If someone is novice or experienced, do you, well, let me rephrase that question. Do you think house sitting is for more of a novice traveler or someone who has had travel experience? I think it's for both. 
I mean, I happen to have had a lot of travel experience by the time I started house sitting, but for the novice traveler, um, I think it's great because there's a lot of familiarity in the home. Once you get in the home, there's a lot of things that can help with make it more homey. <laughs> and I don't mean that to sound silly or like I'm trying for a pun here, but okay. you know, you, you have your home that you're going back to and there's a kitchen and you can cook things that make you feel comfortable and you can veg out and watch, you know, binge watch Breaking Bad if you feel like that's what you want to do one evening instead of going out sightseeing. So there's, for the novice traveler, it's really, I think, a soft way to travel and a, and a way to get started. I recommend it as a way for um, midlife women who have never traveled before and are a little nervous about traveling alone, that it's a really perfect way to integrate in a neighborhood. It's safer. Um, it's, the pet can be just a wonderful comfort. Yeah. So for the novice traveler, I think it's great. For the experienced traveler like me, oh man, I love it because you know I could I could I'm I'm really comfortable with immersing myself in places that challenge me, and house sitting is just a great way to do that more comfortably. When you house sit and you're looking for locations, are you looking at a location for a house, or are you on one of these house sitting websites just looking for an available house and saying, oh, I guess this one's available at this time? in this area? And the answer to that is both. It really just depends on what's going on with my life. So generally speaking, I know that I have my summers free because I house it here in Mexico every spring and fall. So I tend to look for a summer house sit in a, that's long, that's a little longish so that I can really get to know an area that might be in a place that I wouldn't ordinarily think about traveling to. And that's how I ended up in, in Reunion last summer, which is a volcanic island in the middle of the Indian Ocean, just east of Madagascar, and it's a French protectorate. And I, I, you know, I saw the listing for Reunion and I went, where is that? And so I had to research it and find out how I could get there, how much it would cost me to get there, what the visa would look like before I even applied for it. And then oh. I was there for seven weeks and it was, it was incredible. It was just an incredible opportunity, place I never would have thought about going. Is that the so, most exotic? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's no, okay. Is that the most exotic place? I'd probably, um, I've house sat in uh, Singapore and Hanoi. Those felt pretty exotic to me. Oh, Yan China was pretty exotic. <laughs> okay, so here's an example. China. Yes, Yan China, Y-A apostrophe A-N China. It's, um, it's uh, west of uh, Chengdu where the, where the pandas are. Okay. And mm -hmm. way out in the middle of nowhere. This was a, a Chinese village and I was there for two weeks and I was literally the only non-Asian face I saw for two weeks. I had barely no conversation with anybody. But so it was very isolating for me. I wouldn't do that again. But it was really interesting because it challenged me in a different way. And so every time I went out of the house to go buy food or whatever, mothers would come up and put their babies in their arms so they could take a picture of me with them. Or, you know, millennials would come up to me with their, with their iPhones and try to have a conversation with me, you know, through Google Translate. Or it wasn't Google because that's not allowed in China, but whatever the yeah. Translate program was. So it was culturally really exciting and different for me. And the way I got that one, Elliot, to go back to your question, was I, I was in Hanoi and I was going to be joining a delegation of American women in Mongolia. And this, I just happened to see this house sit come up. And, you know, Chengdu was halfway between Hanoi and Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. And I thought, well, I'll do it because it fills this gap. So... 
how I choose my house sits is, um, is really sort of based on what's going on in my life at the, at the moment. I mean, like right now I'm looking at the spring and I'm going, okay, I want to be in Ljubljana, Slovenia, Slovenia, or somewhere in Croatia or Bulgaria, Romania. So I'm looking specifically for house sits that are very geographic specific at that, okay. at this point. So it, it just varies. And is the database full of house sitting possibilities throughout the, the world? Does almost every country have them? I mean, I'm sure they're all over Europe and, and Asia and everything, right? Well, the database that I go to for that, and this is a great tip for our listeners, is called housesitsearch.com. And this is another tip that I offer to people who want to get started in house sitting. If you're not sure which of those 50 platforms to join that, have, that list the, the house sitting opportunities, go to housesitsearch.com. It's free to use. I call it kind of the kayak of, of house sitting. Okay. And that what it does is you put in your, your parameters whether they be geographic or time-wise or whatever it is. And then, you know, you hit submit. And what that website will do is scour most of the major house-sitting platforms and let you know which ones are available. And then you can, then it, what it does is it directs you directly to that platform. And you can, you can read the listing and decide if you want to join that platform in order to apply for that particular listing. HouseSitSearch is free to use, and, and I love it. It's a tool I use all the time, HouseSitSearch.com. Okay. okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> I, so, like, you know, Elliot, with you and Amanda, it seems like it would be pretty easy to do, and this is kind of up your alley with how you like to travel. You like yes. to be immersed in a location for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's a little different. I, I'm a fast paced traveler. I like to go to a location and I, I hop around and every day is jam packed with things to do. But now that I have a kid, I am looking. You got to slow I, it down. I do. I have to slow it down. And I'm now thinking about how I can travel to a country and, um, and probably stay in one location. It's like I want to see Prague. So maybe, you know, mm. I would just be stuck in Prague for a little bit. Um, stuck in Prague? You make it sound <laughs> which, like it's a, a bad thing. Which, <laughs> dude, if, if it was just my wife and I, we would go to Prague, then we could take the train to Vienna, then we'd go to Ljubljana and Slovenia. I mean, we like to move, but... Um, dude, you're now, young. You got lots of time. Yeah. Well, now with this, with all this knowledge I have on house sitting, I'm, I'm interested in learning how I could do it. It seems really cool. I like the idea of... Um, helping it you know meeting a new animal my daughter's growing up with a dog and two cats so she'd be familiar with it i guess it would there would have to be some sort of communication with the owner of the house on whether or not the animals are used to children or is that yes yes and the, and they'll usually put that in their posting um and then what you do is you would you would respond to the posting with with kind of a uh, an introduction letter for you and you might think of that as like the cover letter that you might put with your resume kind of thing, like you're applying for a job, but it's not quite like that. So in your, in your cover note, in your initial note, you would put that you have a one-year-old who's growing up with cats and dogs and you know, you're looking for a slow travel experience. Um, I would suggest to you, Bob, that you would start with families because like anything else in life, people tend to pick people who are most like them. So I have a lot of middle-aged single women pick me. <laughs> You know? Okay, um, but they're but their yeah. living experience their living places probably wouldn't work for you. They'd probably be a, a one bedroom flat you right. know, in the middle of a city, right? And you'd probably yeah. want something that would have a little bit more room room for your daughter to play. Right. So you you'd be looking for a family that would be open to having having an infant with you with them, and you know, and those definitely exist. They're mm -hmm. out there. They're out there. That's really cool. I mean, I I feel pretty confident that I'm I might do it. Uh, in the Good. Near future. It, it, 
it's I don't see why anybody would not. I mean, you save money, you can immerse yourself in the culture, you get to meet a new family, you make connections in this a new city, you get a slower paced experience. There seems to be a ton of pros to this. Mm-hmm. The only con would be, I mean, if you are not the type of person to want to have to have any responsibilities while you're traveling, or if you want to jump around, if you're if you don't want to, you know, assimilate. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a if you're a 28 cities in 30 days kind of person, it's it's really not it's it's not meant it's not meant for that. Right. Um, you know the I mean the other thing that I want to say about it, and, and I and I love house sitting, and I love this aspect of house sitting is the flexibility that's required. I there's not a whole lot of things that I have control over my life anymore. So I may know that I'm going to be in this particular house sit here in Mexico until a certain date. And I know that I'm, I'm next I'm flying to South Korea. That's where I'm going to be house sitting over the holidays. Very new to me. I'm a little nervous about it. And there's <laughs> where, where not in South a whole, Korea? Um, Incheon, Seoul. Okay. And, you know, I mean, I, I've Skyped with a woman. She sounds very nice. I'm going to be taking care of two kitties that sound great. And her, I've seen pictures of her flat because we Skyped around her, her apartment. But other than that, there's not a whole heck of a lot of control I have over that experience because I don't know a lot about soul. I don't know a soul in soul. So I'm going to be there alone and, and sort of figuring it out. Now, I like that. Um, that challenges me. And that's something that I, um, I look forward to doing a few times a year is putting myself in circumstances that would challenge me and, and uh, force me to learn new things about myself. That's one of the greatest things about travel, right? In general. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But not everybody wants to do that. Uh, you know, not everybody wants that lack of control. And that's okay. You can still house sit. So, you know, for example, you know, Bob, you might go visit your parents and not want to live underfoot with them, with your daughter. So you might find a house sit nearby and you're real familiar with the town that you're from. So, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it just is an easier way to travel or your folks might come to visit you and maybe you don't have enough room for them in your place. And so you might find a house sit nearby where you live for your folks to stay. And it's a, so that can be a great way to use house sitting, to employ house sitting, I should say, as a, as a way to travel that's yeah. more comfortable for everybody. Yeah. Okay. One, one concern I do have that, I had issues with couch surfing was when you reach out to individuals to couch surf, they have available dates. And then as the date approaches, you know, two weeks out, they're like, Oh wait, I'm actually going to be home or I'm not going to be home. Are there any issues or have you experienced anything like that with house sitting where you have it scheduled, you have it planned and they bail? Yeah. That's happened to me twice. And it totally is horrible. I was going to swear. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I don't know who your audience is, so I thought I should keep it clean. <laughs> um, yeah, one time that happened to me uh, with a, a woman in Ireland, and and I was I was stranded. I mean, she canceled three days before I was getting on the on the flight. She knew it was a non refundable ticket, um, so I really had to scramble. And what I ended up doing was deciding to go to Dublin anyway because I'd never been there, and just stay in a hotel for a few days, and then I regrouped and found a house sit in, in London and was able to fly to London. So I did spend a couple of days in Dublin and had that experience and then you know, found another sit. The other, but I was, I was really angry at this woman because this was, we had, we had talked about what would happen to her, you know, her elderly cat did die and that's what happened. And she said, I still would need somebody to take care of my plants in my flat. 
And so it was, that was, I was really angry about that, but you know, life happens. And the other time was um, a woman was just really flaky. It was in Hanoi. I was already in Vietnam, but fortunately I had house sat in Hanoi before and had other contacts there. And so within, within 24 hours, I had two house sitting offers for the same period of time. So that lucked out. Um, but you know, that's a really good point because, you know, anytime we travel, whether we're house sitting or not, it's good to have a plan B because we never know if the flight's going to be canceled, the airline's going to go bust, there'll be a natural disaster at the place we're going to. I mean, you know, that's, that's part of travel, right? Is just stuff happens, you know? Are there any, are there any protections through the websites that you book through with, if that happens? Um, not really. The smaller okay. websites will, uh, Trusted House Sitters doesn't do much. They don't really do anything to help. But the smaller websites where there's more of a hands-on from the owners because they're small enough and they can do that, there can be more help and, and attention on that. But, the, you know, the reality is, is nobody can, can conjure up a place for you to stay if a homeowner decides they can't do the house sit. Okay. Yeah. And to put it in perspective, that happened to you twice over in 10 years, <clears throat> 10 years, and mm-hmm. you've done it more, probably more than anyone else. Yes. I mean, I've, I, I haven't even counted up the number of house sits I've done. And so many of them are repeats that, you know, not just here in Mexico, but in, in England and Hanoi and other places. So do you feel confident um, that you have the record, the world record for most houses? <laughs> um, I probably don't have the, well, it depends on how you define it. If it's the most, Unique house sits, probably not, because I do so many repeats. Okay. Uh, but uh, but strictly sure, a number I'll, of days. I'll, I'll take that mantle. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, I, I've been doing it longer than, really longer than anybody I know. Yeah, well, 30 years, you said? No, right? no, no, house sitting full-time for 10 years. Right, yeah. but, but when yeah. you, you started 30 years ago? No, I started, well, I started house sitting full-time in 2009. Okay. So, yeah, and... Full time in 2010. Okay, January 2010. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's been a, it's been a, and that's when I've been traveling full time for that length of time. Right. So so I know you have a lot of different stories, and I read through <laughs> one of them um, through one of the links that you sent me. Could you tell us the story of the Iraqi beggar? Yes. Oh sure. Um, this isn't related to house sitting, but uh, I in 2003. I went to Iraq with a women's delegation just before the U.S.-led invasion. I was there in February 2003, and it was a really, this is a moving experience. That sounds so cliche. It was, it moved me on so many levels. It's, I'm still processing it all these years later. I had never been to the Middle East. I had never thought about going to the Middle East, and I'd certainly never thought about going to any place that was threatened by war, as Iraq was in February 2003. But I went with this with this group. And we were in uh, a souk, uh, a marketplace. And I met this, I just started clowning around with this little girl, uh, an Iraqi girl. And, and our minders and translators were all for the rest of the group. And I was kind of sitting by myself. And, and she and I really couldn't, you know, we couldn't talk. I don't know Arabic and she didn't know English. So I just started teasing with her and I stuck my tongue out at her. And then I, I touched my tongue to my nose, which is something I can do. And she could too. And so we started clowning with each other and I got a photo of her doing this. And then our group left. And, and this was a really, uh, it was a painful time for Iraq because we happened to be there when Colin Powell, Secretary of State Colin Powell addressed the United Nations and said that the weapons inspections weren't working. And so everybody knew that that was it. We'd be 
invading Iraq. And I was still in Baghdad and people, women especially would come up to me and they would just grab my arm and beg me to go home and ask President Bush not to bomb them. And it was such a, a visceral time for me. And it, um, so I, I came back to the States and I started doing a, a series of talks uh, about my experiences. And I had the opportunity to return to Iraq the following that June. So it was about three months, four months after the U.S.-led invasion. And one of the things that I wanted to do was go see if I could find this little girl. But I didn't, I didn't have anything about her except a photo of her touching her tongue with her nose or touching her nose with her tongue. So I went back to the marketplace and everybody was really jittery. You know, they didn't want to talk to an American. It was hot. The, the, there were helicopters overhead. So you had that constant droning noise. There was razor wire everywhere. And it was just really stressful. And, but my, my translator and I kept going from shop to shop and we would, you know, show everybody the little girl's photo and, and nobody knew anything. And, and then finally one shopkeeper said, oh, that's Nebras. I haven't seen her in a while. And I thought, oh my God, what happened to this little girl during the war? I mean, I, you know, nobody knew. So I was kind of heartbroken. And so we started to leave the, the souk. And then suddenly there was this group of men that started shoving toward me. And I turned around and I saw that there was Nebras um, being sort of dragged by the scruff of her t-shirt toward me. I guess the men thought she had done something wrong or something. So they were treating her really rudely. She didn't recognize me until I showed her her photo. And then she started laughing and I bought her an ice cream and she opened the ice cream and, and reached it out toward me to share the ice cream with me, which was really something. And we just sort of had this moment and we didn't even talk. I, I learned she was six years old and that she didn't go to school and that she had spent the early hours of the bombing, uh, of, the bombing of Baghdad in a nearby mosque and that her family was okay. And that was, that was about as much as I could learn from her uh, in this brief moment. And then things got really dicey there where there were rumors that the U.S. troops were about to come through. And so my, my translator was getting very nervous and really wanted me to leave. So it was a very brief encounter, but it was one that stuck, stuck with me all these years. And I, I wonder where she is now. I mean, she'd be, yeah. you know, in her 20s, right? And it's just yeah. amazing. I have this fantasy that somehow she'd have learned English and would hear one of these interviews at some point and go, oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, um, I have that story. I've, I've written an essay about that that's been printed in, in several travel anthologies. Um, thank you very much for asking me to, to talk about it. And I, I have an a audio of me reading that essay up on my website at jumpstartmybook.org, jumpstartmybook.org. And so anyone can go on and, and you know, hear the story as I've written it. Kelly, are you familiar with the author Lindsay Adario? No. She had, author and photographer. She's, mm. yeah, for, is it for New York Times? Yes. Right? She wrote a book. It's called It's What I Do. And she's essentially a war journalist and war photographer. And she shares a lot of stories. Um, I mean, I, I don't I'm know. I'm writing if it's similar, this down. Lindsay, yeah. what's her last name? Adario, A D D A R I O. Mm-hmm. And her book is called It's What I Do. And it was an incredible book. And it's just about her time being a war photographer, traveling to these war-torn countries. Uh, she does spends time in Africa. And a majority of her time is in the Middle East because she was a journalist at the height of, you know, tensions between the U.S. and, and those countries. So it was, it was a really, really good book. And it sounds like uh, one that you'd enjoy reading. Thank you. I'm going to order that immediately, Bob. I appreciate yeah. that. I'll mm-hmm. read it on the plane to South Korea. Yeah. yeah. Well, wow. 
you clearly have, and Bob and I have talked about this amongst ourselves and our definition of wealth and success. And from where we're sitting, Bob and I would probably consider you one of the wealthiest people on the planet in terms of Mm. cultural experience, relationship building, and everything else that you've learned throughout your at least the last 10 years of your house sitting experience and ultimately your entire life. Um, and through your experiences, through your house sitting uh, over the last decade, what has been or what has changed and what's become more important to you in your life and what really matters to you? Community, which is sort of an odd thing for somebody who's been traveling full time to say that you know she longs for community. Um, I, I love the traveling I do. I love the lifestyle I've created. And, uh, and I also recognize that it has some trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs is, uh, is community. And so one of the things that I've learned to do is to create community in a different way. The internet has been phenomenal. I mean, just to be able to stay in touch with friends all over the world through WhatsApp, through Skype, through Zoom, you know, is, is just remarkable. And to be able to share those experiences with other people. I've now started doing a, a, a short three-minute Facebook live thing every Saturday, where in the world is Kelly? And so, you know, any of my Facebook peeps can, can do that. And, and it's been so much fun because it really, it, it doesn't feel like, it feels like an authentic community. It doesn't feel like a fake, oh, these are my quote unquote friends. I mean, these really are my friends. These are people that I've met and lived with and worked with and traveled with over the years. And to be able to stay in touch with them in such a way is a way to, to help me create and feel like I belong to a community of people who want to travel and want to see the world and want to experience what's out there. And that's tremendously exciting for me. Yeah. That's one of the great, greatest things about Facebook, um, the internet in general, but it, Facebook gets a bad rap in a lot of ways, but one of the things that it's done really well, and I think one of the uh, goals of it to begin with was to bring people together. And I know, you know, we have different travel groups on Facebook and I can sit and have conversations with these people and share travel stories. And you, you find people from all over the world that you're building these relationships with and you no longer need the physical community uh, in the sense that we once did. Um, it, it is. It's, a, it's just, it's a different way of creating that kind of community. And, you know, I'm going to go one step further on you, Bob. I had an experience. This is so weird because Facebook does get such a bad rap. But I, I wanted to go to Hiroshima and Nagasaki for the 70th commemoration of the bombings of those cities. And this was back in um, 2005. And I posted on Facebook that I was looking for a place to stay in Nagasaki. I couldn't find anything. It's like there wasn't a park bench available. There wasn't a couch surf, an Airbnb, a house sit, a hotel, nothing. Everything was booked up way, way, way in advance. And so I posted that I was looking for a place to stay in Nagasaki. And a woman that I was, quote unquote, friends with on Facebook, who I've never met in person, never spoken with, but we just were Facebook buddies, uh, connected to a Japanese-American friend of hers in New Jersey who had taught English in Nagasaki. And this woman, who I also didn't know, then connected with a woman in Nagasaki who put me up for two nights with her family. She picked me up at the train station and brought me home. And for her, it was an opportunity to practice her English. So she was delighted. And I had a chance to hang out with her kids. And she took me to a school that was the closest 
point to where the atomic bomb had hit in 1945 and uh, in Nagasaki. And I had a chance to meet some of the school children and see the kind of education and the learning that they were getting around the atomic bomb and around peace. And it was really amazing. And that came through Facebook. Yeah. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I've Most of my trips that I've planned recently have been through connections and questions that I put in through Facebook. I'm, I'm planning a trip to Italy right now, and I'm part of two Italy planning groups. And some people are expats um, that provide pretty good information. And then you have other people who've just traveled there a ton and like to talk about it. And it's, it's so great to just throw out a question, Hey, you know, uh, which is your favorite city on the Amalfi coast? And then you get people's uh, responses, you know, I, Hey, I, you know what? I forgot to mention, I have a two-year-old. Oh, well, if you have a two-year-old, you know, don't go here, go here. And it's, it's really, it's so helpful. And the minute we get off this interview, I'm going to send you a friend request, Bob. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so going back to your experiences in Japan, what is their perception of the atomic bomb and World War II and what we did to them? I'm just, I'm just, this is just a generally just curious. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was interesting. And I did end up house sitting there. I found a house sit in Osaka that was quite unusual in that um, I was taking care of two semi-feral cats. And so I was able to leave for overnight for a period of time, which, as I mentioned, is really unusual in a house sit. And so that gave me a chance to go and spend a few days in Hiroshima and then go back to Osaka and then go down to Nagasaki. I found that I was very welcomed as an American, that there is a, um, an, I mean, the Japanese are so friendly and they're so honest. I have never met more honest people in the plan, on the planet and very, uh, very willing to talk about what happened now. I think they've gone through so much in their society about processing what's happened with the atomic bomb. So uh, it, was, it was really interesting for me to be there. I, what I found most interesting, in Hiroshima, there was a group of Boy Scouts who were there from all over the world. And I happened to interview a couple of Boy Scouts from Southern California who had never heard of the atomic bombing. They didn't learn about it in California's school system, which I find remarkable. And so they were learning about the bombing firsthand by going through the Peace Museum in Hiroshima, which is a really stunning museum that has artifacts that were found after the bombing. So people's clothes, um, there's a tricycle, and, and the, the curators of the museum have, have researched each of those items to find out who they belong to and what the stories were and where these people were when the, bombs, when the bomb hit. So it was really, it was really quite moving. The, the Peace Park, the Hiroshima Peace Park especially surprised me because it's, first of all, it's huge. And there are, there are sculptures everywhere dedicated to peace, not to war, but to the peace efforts that had occurred afterwards. And, and it's a working park, so people commute through it, and they have lunch in it, and they have picnics there. So it, it, was, a, it was something that really moved me because it showed that people, it showed the resilience, that we, we can move on from something as horrific as that, but never again. Yeah. So, yeah. To follow up on my question earlier, what has travel meant to you? Because you've seeked out travel for most of your life in one form or another. And what, how does it make you feel? What does it do for you in terms of, uh, I guess, mindfulness, in terms of keeping stress down, in terms of adding to your life experience? I love this question. Um, 
And the answer to that, I hope I don't sound like I'm being a politician and not answering the question, but the answer to that is something that I think has really changed for me over time. I started traveling in earnest in 1989, went right, <clears throat> right after my brother committed suicide. And one of the lessons that I learned from my brother's death was life is too short. And I know that's a trope we all talk about, but all of a sudden that one became real to me. Life is too short. My brother committed suicide when he was 24. I was 28 and I thought, this is it. I'm going to travel. And my first real traveling experience alone was a month in Paris uh, in summer of 1989. I did a home exchange where I had a Parisian man live in my little apartment in Santa Monica and I lived in his apartment in Paris. And Elliot, it was really a moving experience for me because this is back in the day before we had the internet and cell phones and international phone plans and Skype. And I was, I was very isolated from my family because I was overseas. And so it just wasn't easy. And yet that was exactly what I need. And for me, that travel experience was getting a chance to heal, to begin the healing from my brother's death and the trauma that that had created for my family on my own terms, by myself, without interference from my parents, my friends, my daily life. I could go out into the into wonderful Paris and and explore and feel things in a way that that was much more in depth than I think I, I would have felt them had I been caught up in my own routine. So that that huge first experience for me was was really about healing and about learning about myself. Later I started I did a lot of traveling after that by myself. Later, I started traveling with boyfriends or with friends, and I learned more about myself in relationship, right? So that so when you're, when you're with other people traveling, it brings out different parts of you and forces you to compromise or to pay attention to the things that you really want to do and what's important to you because you can't just go off and do things on your own. And now my traveling is... Is also, is also about challenging me in a different way, about living in more exotic kinds of places that are really foreign to me, living in other people's space and other people's pets and routines. And that's challenging me in a different way. But it also is sort of healing. It's, it's just, I, I find travel to be a real bomb uh, for learning how to navigate life in a way that is just more authentic. And I guess that's what traveling means to me. Very well said. Thanks. Let's put it on a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and I agree with you. I agree with you completely. Um, yeah. Our first, our very first podcast episode involved someone who biked through Chile and she did it after one of her close friends who she f was fighting wildfires with died while fighting wildfires. And it was her method of coping and learning how to deal with it. and coming to the realization that he's not going to be around anymore and how to heal and move on. Yeah, there's, um, that's a moving story. And there are a lot of them, right? When we think about the, uh, the travel memoir that's out there, Wild by Cheryl Strayed, you know, after her mother died, she was trying to overcome an addiction and Eat, Pray, Love after Elizabeth Gilbert, Gilbert's marriage fell apart. And, you know, I think there's... Um, Maybe, I don't know if this is a gender-specific thing. I don't know if men do this, but it seems to be that that's one way that women heal is to just pick themselves out of their routine and put themselves in something that's so totally foreign and different for them that allows something to happen, some magic to happen. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's a lot of introspection. Yes. 
Yes. Cause you really, you know, it's, I mean, traveling is challenging and uh, it's challenging in a way that I like, I like to challenge myself, but you know, it's, it's challenging. It takes me out of my comfort zone. It forces me to be flexible. It forces me to pay attention to my intuition. It forces me to rely on other people, even if they're giving me bad directions, uh, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, and that's something that I relish and I'm so honored that I live at a time when we have the technology and the support systems to be able to travel the way we are. I think this is the way we really make peace in the world. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I have absolutely enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot about house sitting. I've learned a little bit more about travel and its meaningfulness beyond just experience of new places. Um, and before we let you go, can you provide some additional social media pages and links that people could either reach out to you at or just find more info on you and what you do? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So to learn more about my writing coaching and uh, to sign up for a free conversation with me, if you're writing a book and would like some help, you can go to jumpstartmybook.org, jumpstartmybook.org. To get my house sitting book uh, or to just connect with me, I'd love to talk about house sitting, housesitdiva.com. Please feel free to send me an email. The contact info is there. I'm on Facebook at Jumpstart My uh, Facebook is Jumpstart Your Book Facebook page um, or my name, Kelly Hayes Rate. Uh, and all of those links are on the website, so you can do that. But please, I really want to encourage uh, both, uh, you know, Elliot, you and Bob and our listeners today to feel free to email me and ask me questions about house sitting because I'm really happy to, to answer those questions and encourage you and help you in any way that I can. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful service to the world. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be reaching out because yeah. I think my next trip is probably going to include some house sitting. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you both. It's been a real pleasure. It's Great really show. nice meeting you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so I can see you actually house sitting much sooner than I would be doing it. You seem to have, are you, do, do you know your next destination for your next trip? Is it Iceland? I think Iceland, but I mean, I'm going to Florida in, I'm actually probably am in Florida right now when this is released, but I, I am actually considering looking to see if we can house sit for Iceland now. Um, with my mom and my sister, it'll be a little bit slower paced. So house sitting might actually work well. Yeah, and that's a good idea. I mean, you're only going to be in what, Reykjavik the entire time, maybe taking day trips out out yeah. and about for a little bit, but always coming back to that same location. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could work well. I mean, like Kelly told us, though, you want to look for an animal that doesn't really need a lot of you know time and attention, but yeah. it should be doable. Yeah, that's pretty Definitely cool. Definitely doable. I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to doing it one day in the near future, especially as I you know, have another kid and have to limit myself and how many locations I can visit in one trip. It seems like the ideal situation and I'm definitely going to research it a bit more, read Kelly's book, reach out to her. It's, it seems like a really cool way to travel. It does. It does. I'm really excited to try it. Yeah. I already did some searching. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. We appreciate you being fans and supporting us. We really can't tell you how much we actually appreciate it. So 
uh, thank you. And if you, if you have the time, please take like two seconds out of your day, rate us on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. It goes a really far away. Those ratings are very important to the growth of our show and us getting recognized by travel companies and things like that. So it means a whole lot to us. And, uh, and thank you for listening. Tune in next week. Yeah. But don't forget, Bob, we have the trivia question. Oh, we do have the trivia question. I, I did forget. Go ahead. That is okay. Go ahead. So, what French island in the Indian Ocean did Kelly house sit at? She mentioned it twice. So, if you get it right, email us or email us. And if you get it right, we'll be reaching out to you. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Tune in next week to find out. Thank you, guys.